0: hello 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 everybody this is the ninth episode of the red sox unfiltered podcast i am your co-host of this wonderful podcast and i'm also the owner and founder of RedSoxUnfiltered.com. joining me per usual is the wonderful jordan deco uh he's a terrific writer for the same site that i own jordan say hi to everybody
1: hi everybody
0: yeah, so we are actually without Dave Latham, who is our usual other co-host, uh, also very wonderful man, but he unfortunately will not be able to make this week's episode, nor on Sundays. But in his place, we have a very, very exciting guest, where um, we're going to welcome Nick Fryer to the show. Nick is the Red Sox analyst for WPRI Fox Providence, radio host on 1480 WSAR, and he's a Red Sox writer for the Standard Times and all of Gatehouse Media, and... He, he doesn't just do that. He is also the host and creator of the Seems Legit blog and podcast, where he frequently interviews people around Major League Baseball on his show. And lastly, he's part of the Brad Foe Show podcast with WEEI. So basically, lots of cool stuff. He's kind of a big deal. Nick, thank you for coming on here, and, and welcome to the show.
2: I'm happy to be here. I want to say it's perfect, it's fitting that you say the Bradford thing last because that is the, the thing I am least proud of on my resume <laughs> 100% <laughs> yeah
0: that's I, I figured I'd introduce it last um so, yeah so yeah so well we're going to start off this episode a little different since since nick is so decorated and he has such a cool background i mean usually we just get into the series but but first i wanted to get a little background on nick so i'm going to ask him some questions to start the show so to begin nick i know you played a little college baseball for northwestern correct
2: Yes, I did. I tried to, at least.
0: You tried to. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, as someone whose college baseball highlights, and talk about myself here, are limited to intramural softball dingers. I was wondering how your experience as a college pitcher prepared you for your current role as basically a baseball guru. Uh,
2: you know, there are a couple things that I think uh, that were a big help in terms of getting that experience. One being around the locker room all the time, you know, a lot of these guys, now don't get me wrong, I, I would get a sideways look from Joe Kelly if I asked him about uh, something in terms of his strategy or, you know, uh, you Dustin know, Pedroia may think I'm, I'm weird for asking if something bothered him uh, with his knee in terms of lateral movement or deceleration and acceleration, but um, that background has kind of helped me understand a little bit what goes into um, what these guys do on a daily basis, and it kind of helps to understand, too, their vernacular a little bit more because, I mean, I'm not going to go and talk too much slang with them, but at the same time, I get a little bit of what they're going for. I understand how to ask certain questions sometimes and, and get the answer that I want. Don't get me wrong, I'll get stonewalled once in a while, but I have a little bit of a better understanding. Um, I think then, then most people, at least starting out, in the business. Um but again I still have place long when it comes to it all. But I think that's one thing and then the other thing is too, um, you know, when I pitched I kinda tried I tried to at least pay attention to guys' tendencies a lot as a pitcher. Um and I, I it wasn't really until my senior year that I figured it out at all. Um that's when my almost kind of junk at that point. But I figured out how guys Worked a little bit, um, what, you know, worked in certain situations, what didn't, and I've kind of learned, um, hitter swings a little bit more as a result of all that, I still have a tough time with that a little bit, but yeah. what goes through a pitcher's mind, it, it's become a lot easier for me to see and kind of figure out if a, move, a decision makes sense, doesn't, what he was trying to do, um, what guys will be effective against certain teams, it's become a little bit easier for me to, to grasp that, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, it definitely seems like a really advantageous for you um, to be able to work a locker room like that. Just because you have that experience, you have like that thing you can relate to with them. So that seems really cool. So, so my next question for you is: knowing that you were a college pitcher, could you strike out Christian Vasquez right now? Yes, absolutely, one
2: hundred percent. No, if you gave me, if you gave me. Uh, I, I, I will definitely say no right now. I wouldn't, but I'm honestly like, I love the mentality that you gave me the amount of time where I can get it back up to, like I can get it back up to 88 if I have like four months to train and and I would be absolutely not afraid of throwing against him or, or JD Martinez or anybody whatsoever Would I fail most likely, (laughs) but that's how most guys think. Like you just go out there and, You know, I don't give a damn who's in the box Like, I'm gonna get him out Like, and if he beats me, he beats me So, uh, I guess the real answer is Would I get him out Probably not, but do I think I would get
0: them out? 100%. Yes. See, I love that spirit that you have. I love that mentality. I think more people should have that mentality. That's what I go into every article I write, even though if it might be crap, even every podcast I do, it might be crap, but I'm like, you know what? It's going to be the best thing ever. I, I love it. I love it. There you go. Exactly. There we go. Yes. Yeah. So my last question for you is more along the lines of, of your podcast, because I was listening to it. Jordan was listening to it. And we were very impressed with, with the interviews that you did. Um, um, but I would want to know who was the most interesting person that you've interviewed thus far in baseball.
2: That I've come across, or, or or in the podcast.
0: You can go either way, man. You can give me one of each. You can just do one, whatever, whatever you think.
2: Okay. Um, on the podcast, I would say, well, the smartest person on my podcast that I've had so far is one hundred percent Eric Cressy, and he's what's cool about him. So he was actually my trainer. In high school. Oh wow! And so I have a relationship with him, and he has this very um, wide-ranging network that I have not tapped into it much at all. I w- would love to, um, but he trains Noah Syndergaard. I actually got to work out hey. at his facility in Florida when I was down for the meetings, and Syndergaard was there. Um, I didn't exactly compose myself all that well, but it was very. Uh, that was a weird experience. And on top of that, this guy also trains Corey Kluber and Max Scherzer, who both oh. won. Uh, side awards obviously last year so he's kind of a big deal um but i've known him since i was scott uh since like 08 i was one of his original clients wow i've known him for years used to work out with tyler beady too uh for the giants but um i would say all around though the person i've you know with the players you have that professional relationship i'm not gonna go like cinder was a weird situation for me just because i don't cover him but um when I meet certain media members it's kinda weird for me. So at the winter meetings, like I, I met um Ann Singer, which was kinda cool, but meeting Matt Bascurgeon oh was God. probably the coolest thing for me ever I because I love LB Network and I'm sure you guys have played the show, right?
0: Oh, we, we hear Matt. Absolutely. Weston's, yeah. We hear yeah. So meeting
2: voice. him, I was like, I'm a huge fan, man. I just I And I uh, I talked to him very briefly, but I I did not compose myself well at all. He, he like, knew it, but he was cool about it. But, uh, yeah, that was probably, for me, Matt Vaskersen was probably my number one person I've ever met.
0: Yeah, I I don't know what I would do if I met Matt Vasgersian in person. Like, I I would probably be too star. But I make feel better about myself. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm completely, I'm completely with you, man. Like, if I met Matt Vasgersian or like Ken Rosenthal in person, I would be like, "You are my hero. You are my <laughs> idol." But it would all be in my head. I wouldn't be able to get a word out. You're not alone. Um, but yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, no. <laughs> so now we're going to transition into baseball stuff here i mean we just talked about baseball stuff but we're going to talk about what actually happened today um so following a clean sweep it was a beautiful thing of of the the sweep of the Toronto Blue Jays. The Red Sox headed down to Houston for an ALDS rematch. It's going to be an epic series, but game one was not too favorable for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, They lost four to two at the hands of Lance McCullers and the Astros. And I I think the most scary thing here, guys, is that McCullers, who, who is obviously excellent in his own right, he he only allowed two earned runs in, in his six innings of work. Uh, he, he is the worst of the rema- the remaining starting pitchers the Sox will have to face. Like, to me, that, that that's pretty scary um, considering who they're going to have to go up against. Um, so Boston managed to muster just like six hits against the Astros today. Um, so nothing, nothing firing on that offensive cylinder side. Um, Drew Pomerantz, he had another lackluster start, going five innings, allowing four earned runs, accumulating five strikeouts to two walks. So on, on this show, we, we've talked about Drew Pomerantz ad nauseum. We've had a lot of commentary. I mean, he's a very polarizing topic just because of his struggles, especially in juxtaposition to how well he did last year. But since Nick, you, you are a fresh voice on this show, I wanted to know your thoughts on his performance to date.
2: Yeah, with was, was Pomerantz, you know, it's funny. I, I'm watching the broadcast, and Roger Clemens says how he was efficient, uh, and it wasn't that bad of an outing. The guy threw 87 pitches over five innings. In what world is that ever considered efficient? Uh, I so, I, again, another bad outing from Pomerantz. I know two walks. And, and again, Two walks for him in five innings is maybe a step in the right direction, but that's still not good. And what he was, what, Pat, six hits, right? That's how many he gave up?
0: Yeah, that was the total hits the Red Sox managed to muster in the entire game. I think he gave up five of them, if if I'm correct.
2: Okay. So, uh, so anyway, I, I was blown away by, I don't know. I mean, like, you, you see him perform so poorly, and then you have Steven Wright come in, and he's... I mean, he out, and I mean, that last at bat, was that, who was that against? Was that Correa that he got down three or was that Gonzalez that he got down I think down it was 2-0?
0: Marlon Gonzalez who got him <laughs> on the night. Gonzalez, yeah. Guy. definitely Gonzalez.
2: Yeah, so it was Gonzalez. He gets down 3-0, and I am thinking, you know, any bar, you're thinking, oh, that's for sure a walk. There's no way. It doesn't matter if his base is loaded. And he comes back down 3-0. I mean, right, you know, I know right has what had uh, three scoreless outings going into that game. Today was number four in a row. Yeah. Um, At what point is Cora going to say, hey, you know what, Steven, you've earned this, you deserve at least one start. And he's going to keep his role because I'm I'm so anti-knuckleball, but he has proven me wrong time and time again. As long as he's healthy... He's he like out plain and simple
0: guys. Yeah. That actually was my question. That was my follow up question. Um, who would you consider using right instead of Pomerans? But but you answered it. But yeah, going back to that Marvin Gonzalez at bat, like it was three oh, bases loaded, it, it did not look too 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 good for for Stephen Wright, but then he just painted two 85-mile-per-hour fastballs on the corner, which is a thing of beauty to, like, have that knuckler and then change a the pace with a fastball. And then he got him with a high knuckler. It was a, it was a great sequence of pitches there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you, Nick, 100% that I think maybe we're starting to get into Stephen Wright should be. Yeah, and that up.
2: knuckleball is dancing like it, like it did two years ago yeah. or whatever it was when he was an all-star. I mean, it's all over the place. You have no idea where it's going, and he's throwing it hard, he's throwing it slow. Um, yeah, and having the fastball, the command of it is huge. I mean, you have no idea what's coming from this guy at any point in time, and, and, that's, and, and he can control, to, 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 to some capacity, he can control that knuckleball. So, Stephen Wright, if he's pitching like he did back in, you know, before he got hurt in his all-star season, I mean, he got another strong arm in the, in the road where Rick Porcello has, has been shaky, you know, it makes Definitely. them a huge difference. Get Pomeranz out, put him back in the bullpen, whatever you got to do. I mean, he's been effective there in the past, but clearly something's not right with him right now. And, and it's, you talk about mechanics, he's, he's talked about being too rotational. I think that's it 100%. That's why his curveball has not been as sharp. And again, he's throwing slower than last year
0: yeah yeah definitely um his curveball usage is down and we have talked about that in in the podcast because it it simply does not have the vertical it actually has a lot more vertical movement than it once did and it doesn't have that 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 sharp break um but yeah so uh jordan did you see anything from Pomeran's start today or or even stephen wright's relief efforts which which was a thing of beauty that that you want to comment on
1: i mean i think we've touched on it um i think nick touched on it like very well um <coughs> And it's funny, I, uh, at the very beginning of the game, I was like, all right, Palmer, is gonna make a statement against, against, uh, against the Astros. And then he gives up that, uh, that two run home run to left field to, to Correa. And then, like, an, imme- immediately after, um, after that, I was like, I was holding my breath, like, the, the, the rest of his start. So, I mean, I don't, like, yeah, it was a still, so, still so performance from Pomeranz. Um, I don't think it, like, it was his worst because, like, I think that what we've seen from Pomeranz was, like, the last couple of starts that he struggled in. is just, like, yeah, his workload has been bad. And then he's, he's been giving up hits, um, more, I think, I think, yeah, like we said, we said, um, he gave up six hits today. I think he's given up, like, more, more hits than his previous starts. But, um, I mean, it was an epic performance from Pomeranz. Um, and then to follow up on, on a uh, Steven Wright. I mean, I, that was that at bat against Gun, uh, Gonzalez was just amazing. Um, and, like, I tweeted right after. I was just like, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Steven Wright just knocked out Pomerantz from the rotation.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think anybody would be surprised. Um, we'll see how that progresses. Um, Alex Cora seems to have stuck with Drew Pomerantz thus far through these struggles. So we'll see when that leash actually is closed. But, but for now, for now, it'll be something that only time will tell. But, yeah, so this game did not go as planned for the Red Sox, but there's a lot more exciting games this week. Um, tomorrow, guys, I don't know if you know this, but there, there's quite the pitching matchup brewing. Um, it's going to be Chris Sale versus Garrett Cole. So, like, my Friday night plans are shot. That, that's what I'm doing. Like, uh, there's no negotiating. that. That is what I'll be doing. I'll be glued to that television set. So it'll it'll be a good time watching those two uh, aces on the mound. Um, so I, I think there's definitely a question, and obviously we none of us will be able to answer this with any certainty, but the question that everyone wants to know is, will Mookie Betts be in the lineup tomorrow? Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on his absence?
2: I think, you know, Cole has been pretty clear with not just Mookie, but with everybody that they want to kind of, Take it slow. Whenever a guy's injured, you know, Pajora today gets that late scratch with his knee. Um, you know, taking his time with that. Uh, and, and there's, you know, been other guys in the process. Drew Palmer's which which makes this whole Drew Palmer thing even more curious. Because if there is something wrong with his arm, why are they trying to force the issue with him and put him back out there? Um, but I don't think there's any reason for concern. I know with obliques, they they can be. I'm not trying to like be a. The, the not creative or whatever, but it can be a pain and and just continue to nag at guys. Um, so I think they have that kind of in consideration, in the course of course. And honestly, guys, you know the Red Sox offense. I know they had that one game against the Braves, but there was no JD. And then tonight, you know, they're facing a tough pitcher in McCullough's This staff, like you said before, Pat, is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but you know, in that Blue Jays series, they didn't need rookie, so I think that they can afford to be without him for a little bit.
0: Yeah, the definitely they definitely can afford to be without him. Um, obviously, you would want to have Mookie Betts in the lineup, but there are guys who who are just raking right now. Um, Mitch Moreland, J.D. Martinez, obviously, he's he's been pretty dang good with the bat. Um, that's not a surprise to anyone. Xander Bogarts, Andrew Benintendi is scorching hot right now. Even down in the order, Jackie Bradley Jr. is putting it together, and and we'll talk about him later in the show too. So there are a lot of guys who are picking it up in Mookie Betts' absence, and I don't he's. Obviously, they can now can afford to rest uh, bets until he's fully healthy, and hopefully, this oblique thing doesn't linger too long for him. And hopefully, it'll be a speedy recovery. You know what I imagine? How I imagine this going is the day Mookie Betts comes back, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's Saturday, whether it's somewhere other time in the future. Is there definitely will be a three-run home run? Like I've already established that in my head, it's going to be a three-home run performance, and it's it's gonna it's sure. gonna be a thing of beauty. Uh, Jordan. Um, so Dustin Madroia was also out of the lineup. Uh, it was with knee soreness. And it, it was weird because he looked fine in pregame. Uh, Nesson was talking about that. He seemed fine in warm-ups. And literally right before the game, they had to take him out. And Blake Swihart came in the game. Brock Holt went to second base. Um, what are your thoughts on Dustin Bedroya's absence and how long do you think it will be?
1: I mean, I think I think it's just another case of, uh, of Cora being careful, like, Midway, like, I think we're getting close to midway through the season here. Um, I mean, I mean, Pedroia has, like, he's just coming off a knee injury. Um, I think it's smart for, for Cora to just, for, for Cora to be careful with, um, with his second baseman. Um, yeah, I, it was, it was strange, but, um, I think, I think it's just a matter of Cora being careful with his guys and letting everybody know that, um, you know, health is important to him, and like, if I can, like, just be- if I can um, go back to Mookie Betts for a minute, I mean, I think I heard Remy say that if this was a pennant race, maybe, maybe it would be different, maybe Mookie would be out there, and maybe that's the same case with Pedroia, but, um I mean, since we're not even at the to, the, not even in June yet, well, I mean, we're a day away from uh, being in June, uh, I think, it, I think it's just a matter of being careful, because once you get down the stretch, health is, health is going to be even more important than it is now. I mean, well, yeah, health is always important, but I mean, obviously there are times where it's more important than other times, I guess. That didn't, I don't know if that sounded right, but you guys know what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, yeah we, we know what you're trying to say. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think that was a weird question on my end to ask if you knew that if Dustin Pedroia was going to be back in the lineup, but obviously no one can know, but yeah, we know Alex Cora loves to rest his players and we, I, I love this strategy. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that progresses with both of them, but moving on to Saturday, we have another good pitching matchup, not quite as Fridays because the Red Sox will feature David price going against the world's best pitcher in Justin Verlander, at, at least for the time being, Clayton Kershaw returned today. Um, he got pulled from his start. Uh, that's just a side note. I, as we're talking along the lines of the world's best pitchers. Um, And then we got the Sunday Night Baseball marquee matchup. I think this is the first time the Red Sox have been on Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, I I think that's right. Um, Rick Porcello will take the hill opposing Charlie Morton. And so there's a lot of good pitching duels to watch. Obviously, there's a lot of good games to watch. So now that we've... Broke down the first game and kind of previewed it. Um, we're actually going to move on to some topics. So basically, we're going to talk about the Red Sox and post Hanley Ramirez land. Um, I just want to re- to start this segment of the show. I wanted to quote Jared Carabas of Barstool. Um, he tweeted out earlier today. Uh, the Red Sox have won five of their last six games without Hanley Ramirez. This is this is before the Houston Astros result. Um, they have the highest slugging percentage in the majors, 566, hit the second most home runs, 11, and own the second highest OPS, 921. And um, this is also without monkey bets. keep in mind. Um, so, Nick, what were your thoughts, since, again, you're a fresh voice, what were your initial thoughts about the Hanley Ramirez uh, the news that broke earlier this week about him being the guy to uh, part—they parted ways with him—and then, so yeah, continue.
2: No, well, I'm sorry, Pat. I didn't mean to cut you off. When I when I saw that, um, when I, I was, I think I was driving, and somebody texted me about, did you see Han- about Hanley? and I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I see that you know Alex Spear came out with a report, and I was like, what in the world is going on right now? They seriously getting into because right away. My first thought is, vesting option, they don't want to deal with it. They're trying to dump them. And then you saw later the report from Evandrelic that they had, according to his sources, they had never talked to him about the vesting option. When Dombrowski said, what was it, uh, that that has nothing to do with it, I can't remember his exact quote. I tweeted it out, but I was like, really? And, again, it's, you know why. It's because he doesn't want to deal with the problem. And I did research after the fact saw that he had ran into this kind of issue before with Maglio Ordonez when he was in Detroit, and instead of releasing him at that time, what they decided to do was sit him so he didn't re- reach his games, player plate appearances, wherever it was. Um, and then they almost filed a grievance, Maglio and his agent, with the players' union. So I think Dombrowski just saw it as, we'll eat this money, so we don't have to eat the rest of the money, and we'll move on. So that way we don't run into an issue with the, the uh, players' union. But yeah, that, that was my right away. It was like clear is the money move. I don't care what they say, but like you said, how you're throwing out all those numbers. It it hasn't it's never it feels like he has not left at all, or like he was never even here, however you want to look
0: at it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um in terms of the Hanley move that you talked about, I, I had no idea about the maglio Ordonius thing. Um that's that's very interesting. Um yeah, when Dave Dombrowski made the comment that the vesting option had absolutely nothing to do with it, I, I was pretty 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 sure that that, that was complete you know, baloney I didn't believe that at all um, but I also I also think that they could have put him on the bench unlike Magdale Ordonez. I'm not sure how productive ordonez was um, in that season but mm-hmm. Henry Mira's was not playing very effectively Um I th- and they had the superior option in Mitch Moreland. So I think that even if Hanley's side was, were to file a grievance um, for being benched later in the season, and in an effort to obviously suppress the 497 plate appearances, the Red Sox could have easily just claimed that um, he just was simply not producing. But on the same lines, you know, you, you don't want that, does not look good optically for your team and to even have that associated with you. So, yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, but but Nick, is this evidence, talking about the Karabas tweet about how well the Red Sox offense has produced in Hanley Ramirez's absence, is this evidence that the Red Sox made the right move with Hanley Ramirez?
2: Yeah, I mean, apparently so, because, uh, you know, Mitch Moreland has been impressive since this, pretty much the start of the season, um, and they're surviving without him. I mean, it also helps that I mean, I know with the slugging... Well, actually, no, Jackie Bradley's slugging would will, will come into play because he's had a few doubles in the past few games. I know he's yeah, in, like, not. a five-, six-game hitting streak right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, when you have Mookie hitting like he's hitting, J.D. Martinez had an unbelievable month of May. He'll probably be the AL player of the month, I, I would assume, unless... Uh, I, I don't know who would take that from him. But um, you have those two guys hitting as well as they have been. Xander Bogarts is a new man. Uh, Andrew Benintendi has picked it up too because he hit like 242 in the first month, yeah. and now he's what uh, around 280 or 290 range, something like that, flirting with 300. His numbers are um, so when you have those four guys doing well, honestly, you have two two and a half guys hitting well in the course of the game, or if two guys hitting well and someone has a timely hit, you're going to win ballgames with a good staff. And these guys right now, you have right there. I just listed off four guys, five guys, whatever it is. So yeah. They need to move with Hanley because again the money, and you have Mitch Moreland who's just killing it right now. I'm I'm blown away by it. I just wonder my my concern, guys, with him is when is Mitch Moreland going to get hurt? Because that always is the problem with him going back to his days in Texas.
0: Yeah, the, the injury concerns are definitely there with Mitch Moreland. Um, in terms of his production right now, I mean, he's he's definitely outproducing any numbers in the past, but um, we, we we cite some advanced statistics on the show. Um, Mitch Moreland's ex-WOBA last season, when he had a pretty good season with the Red Sox, it wasn't anything spectacular. His expected WOBA was considerably higher than his actual WOBA, and it, it seemed evident that if Mitch Moreland was given another shot, and he did so on a... Pretty dang cheap deal, two year, thirteen million. That he would uh, definitely have some positive regression, and that's exactly what has happened. Mitch Moreland is the hitter that is underlying statistics showed. I mean, he's been one of the best hitters. I think he's like top five in OPS and uh, among batters with about a hundred twenty plate appearances. So Mitch Mitch Moreland has really come alive, and 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 yeah. The fact is that without Hanley Ramirez, who was scuffling, he was about a league average hitter. When when he departed, allow, is allowing that Mitch Moreland to get in the lineup, and it's also allowing Jackie Bradley Jr. to get in the lineup because there was a point in time where they were displacing Jackie Bradley Jr. with J.D. Martinez, and then J.D. Martinez had to field, and he's much better suited for DH. and Bradley Jr. Um, is now hitting, uh, and we'll talk again. We're going to talk about him in a sec, but yeah, and and even Blake Swihart has done well in his absence, so. And as Nick has said, that there are guys in this lineup like Benintendi, like Bogarts, like Moreland, who are abs- and, and J.D. Martinez, of course, who are absolutely great hitters, almost all-star caliber players, that the absence of Hanley Ramirez while potentially hurting them, is they have guys to make up for it. Um, Jordan, is this offensive surge, though it's a small sample size over the past week, um, does that say anything that the Red Sox made the right move with, with this?
1: I'm I'm sorry. Can you repeat that, Todd?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, with the offensive surge that the Red Sox have have um, compiled over the past week, even though it's a small sample size, do you think that this is evidence that the Red Sox made the right move in parting ways with Hanley Ramirez?
1: Um, I mean, I th- I really what I th- with a with a small sample size. Um, I mean, it's just what my concern is is just how far can Blake Swirehart and uh, can Blake Swihart go? Because I th- it's been like I think now five, six days. Um, I think uh, I, I wrote about it. I mentioned it in my last article that he's been hitting like over three hundred since getting regular at bats. Um, it's you know it. It's going to be really interesting to see if if heart can uh, can keep up this you know I, I guess hot streak. You could say that, um, and then. Uh, I mean, like, same thing with, uh, with Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, if, I think he was hitting, like, 336 or 363 uh, going into tonight um, in the last 10 games. So, um, I think there's, like, somewhat more of some, uh, like, offensive responsibility, like, loaded onto Jackie Bradley Jr. with with Hamler Ramirez's uh, absence. So, I mean, it, like, I, I think I mentioned to you earlier, if he can... Um, get some more, like, consistency and not uh, have this up-and-down, like, I guess, this kind of, like, up-and-down tendency that he's been having uh, this this season. I think we could be seeing, like, Jackie Bradley turning into an all-star or, like, you know, just being, like, a productive hitter because, uh, like I said, with Hanley gone, uh, Jackie Bradley is going to have to hit, like, a little bit more, like more of the uh, offensive load.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and Bradley Junior has always struggled with consistency throughout his career. So luckily, right now he's he's on the he's on the good side of the consistency mark. He, he he's on a hot stretch. Um, so before today's game, these were the statistics he has posted: a four forty four average, five forty five OBP, and a six six seven slug in the last week alone. So that's sizzling hot. Um, so he dropped that leg kick. And ever since he's done that, he he's been absolutely cruising. Um, So, what kind of production do you expect the rest of the way in 2018 for Jackie Bradley Jr.? Nick, I I kind
2: of lost you for a second there. You got a little choppy. Yeah, was that directed at me?
0: Yeah, sorry about that, man. So, what I was asking was, what kind of production do we expect from Jackie Bradley Jr. for the rest of 2018?
2: Oh, okay. Yes, okay. So, okay, all right. Well, I, the problem with Jackie is his swing. Obviously, they talk about being long all the time, whether you're listening to Lou Moroli talk about it, Jerry Remy, any of these guys who are experts when it comes to hitting. And you had that hit tonight off the callers back up the box. What uh, was that? was an ex back up the box. That was a double over um, Marisnick's head. And I, I put it on slow motion, you know, as best as my TV does with slow motion. I was of Figure out if his swing looks more compact um, because obviously he's hitting well. I mean, he's had a hit. He's had a couple multi-hit games too lately, and it looks like his swing isn't all that much different than than before, at least from, from what I remember. I'm sure there's some slight alteration, but I mean, for these guys to make that change on the fly, it's it's not that easy and to still be successful. Um, is there some difference, maybe? But he's still kind of dropping the back of his uh, you know the head of the bat before it gets in the zone, and that's usually where he runs into those problems, where he starts yanking balls into the dirt, um, and he can't get that power to right field. So, I don't know if we can... So, what we're seeing right now, I don't know if we can expect that going forward. What I say about Bradley... I, now, don't get me wrong. On, on WPRI, I predicted going into the year that Jackie Bradley be the surprise of the year, and like, 290. Clearly, I was wrong there. But if you get 240 out of him by the end of the year, and he hits 15 bombs... I think we're going to take that with the defense that we've seen from him because, yeah, obviously it makes a huge difference. And the the way the rest of the lineup is constructed, the weak points really are him and catching position so far right now. So I think he can survive without those two.
0: Oh, yeah, I think the Red Sox offense can definitely be sustained with with their – Their all-star level production without JBJ um, hitting like he has in the past, but yeah, I I think you can still squeeze like a two-win ninety WRC player out of him, low seven hundred OPS. And I mean, considering how putrid his year started, that that would be a very welcomed outcome. His batting average on ball in play is still low at two sixty four, so there may be some positive regression there too. If that starts creeping up near his career norm, which is around three hundred, balls start flying into. Places where defenders are not, then he's going to start his average and all his numbers are going to go up with that. But the thing about Jackie Bradley Jr. is he – I think I, I mentioned the leg kick already, but he—the fact that he's dropped that leg kick has, has been huge for him. It's allowed his swing to be a lot more fluid. There's not as much movement, and and I think uh, you you out, Nick, you outlined a lot of great points about Jackie breaking down what JBJ's done difference with his swing. Um, but I, I've I've been a Jackie Bradley Jr. believer, man. I I've always happened, and and I'm really I'm really excited about this stretch, and I and I think that he's not struggling because there was a period of time when pitchers there was like a stretch of 37 pitches where 34 of the 37 pitches that Jackie Bradley Jr. saw were all fastballs and they were all low and in the hands and Jackie Bradley Jr. quite frankly could just not make contact with them he couldn't catch up with the heat and it was in the same place and now that he's got that rhythm now pitchers are starting to throw him more off speed and breaking stuff and that's backed up by the numbers but yeah I think I think Jackie Bradley Jr is is is, is going to turn it around and I think that we're going to see some some really good JBJ production going forward. I think, you know, obviously he has struggles with consistency, but yeah. I'm very bullish on JBJ, personally. Um, That's
2: got to be a tough existence, Pat, because he has gone through a lot. I'm sure you've caught a lot of crap for that over the years. I
0: have caught a lot of crap for my unwavering JBJ support. I actually wrote an article earlier in the year about how everybody should leave JBJ alone and how there was statistical evidence that he was going to come back, and and that was, like, in mid-April, and then it didn't happen for a very long time. And, like, I've... I've been hiding under a rock ever since, but now that JBJ is starting to hit in the past week, you know, I've I've been able to come out and, and see the sun. So yeah, it, it's been, it's been a it's been a good week for the JBJ. The thing about fans.
1: the
2: Go ahead, sorry. No, you can go, Nick. The, 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 thing, the thing about the, the anti JBJ people that kind of annoys me and I get like at, at some point, you know, defense isn't enough, you have to hit. I agree with that hundred percent. But I get annoyed with, like, you know, like Adam Jones from 98. I, he, I, funny follow on Twitter, but God, the most anti-JBJ person ever. <laughs> and he talks about K- Pilar and Kiermaier and how these guys are so much better than him. It's like, you know, the thing with Jackie is that guy gets unreal reads off of the bat. I did a whole thing um, for, you know, the Bedford Standard Times, and the Province Journal when I was down there at Spring Trading. I talked to him about it. Just me and him. He explained it all, how when he started doing it, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. You guys can go read it somewhere and find it. But it, he talks about it and it's like, this is why he is better than Kiermaier. And this is why I kind of don't necessarily care about uh, some of the stats that come up there because, like, in terms of defensive metrics because, Jackie makes some of these balls, some of these catches that he makes, it looks like, oh, you know, no issues, you you can't thunder it, because he knows right away, he has that amazing read off the bat, and and later, I I don't know, read it off the angle, whatever, uh, the way it hits the bat, but he knows the pitch is coming, all that. So when he makes a catch that's like a difficult catch, too, like he had that one, I believe it was in the last game of the the Toronto Series, been might have been Friday's game, I can't remember uh, what day was it?
0: I, th- I think it was Friday and it was off the bat of Kendry Morales. Oh, not Friday. It would have been...
2: Mm, no, well, Wednesday. Wednesday, was, Wednesday, what Wednesday yeah, yeah, yeah Wednesday. sorry. But that catch was a tough catch for anybody to make, but, right? Because obviously it looks like it was difficult, and it definitely was. But for Jackie to have that tough a time with it, to me, that becomes that much tougher of a play because it's always easy for him. So I just, his defense... Look, hitting one ninety you, you unless you're a catcher, you can't justify that. But Jackson Bradley's defense is still, I feel like, underrated. And I don't think the numbers even back it up enough to, sh- to express how good he is on defense.
0: Yeah, as somebody who's a huge advocate in the numbers, but also a very you know big proponent of JBJ, and and I and I watch JBJ on a regular basis. I can tell you right now that the numbers do not do JBJ bust, uh, justice, especially in terms of like defensive run save and UZR ultimate zone rating. Like Jackie Bradley Jr. is might he might very well be the best center fielder in the game, um, but. But, man, as you said, like, Kevin Pillar, Kevin Kiermaier, like, the American League East is just blessed with just great center field talent. Like, those are, like, three of, like, the premier defensive center fielders. And, and if you're a fan of the AL East and you get to watch these guys a lot, man, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, Jordan, do you have any comments you wanted to make about JBJ's hot stretch?
1: Um, I, I think the one thing that I would say, and I think we touched on it already was his, uh, his leg kick. I, like I saw R- Remy give a breakdown to, um, Bradley's, uh, to Bradley's swing when he was, when he, like, when all, when all those fastballs were eating him up and then his swing tonight. And, um, I just saw that, um, uh, Bradley, um, switched from his leg kick to just kind of like a toe tap or, um, or just like an abbreviated motion. So, I mean, as of right now it's working up for him and like he like I think like we all hope and like what we what like what we've all said, um I mean we're all rooting for him and yes, like his defense is like out of this world, but I mean at some point he has a hit and but you know, as Nick said and as as you said, Pat, that um I mean his num like the numbers do not support how good of a defender um he is and I, I think that catch Again, um, against the Blue Jays is like is a is a great example of like how much how much of a great defender uh, Bradley
0: is. Yeah, um, Nick. Now I'm going to have a difficult question. Just to spitball off this. Um, so, who do you think is the better defender, Jackie Bradley Jr. or Mookie Betts? Oh, it's not even close.
2: It's Jackie Bradley Jr. On okay.
0: Set. Okay. Yeah. I mean,
2: Mookie's uh, a, a good defender. Don't get me wrong. I know he's got the gold gloves to back him up, but. but Consider who he's going up against. I think that also makes a difference. Um, but Mookie can play center, but Jackie again, the the reads off the bat is what makes a big difference for him because it just looks like every catch for him is easy. And, I, and being in center field versus right definitely has the advantages. Um, but then you know when it comes down to arm too. I mean Jackie has yeah. an absolute cannon. And you know when was the last geez. time we saw that of a center fielder besides him or Mookie? I mean we reached the Johnny Damon and but Coco Chris sisters of the poor with those arms out there so uh, yeah
0: I think I think Jackie all day Pat yeah, and Jacoby Ellsbury with those, with that center field arm too oh god <laughs> I
1: forgot
0: about him <laughs> try to erase it from your memory as best you can um, so yeah now we're going to segue to our next topic here um, so very exciting time coming up um, the 2018 Major League Baseball draft will take place on Monday and there's a lot of anticipation um, for every team obviously it's a very exciting time for both the players being drafted and the teams doing the drafted um the drafting but i was reading a an absolutely excellent piece by the boston globes alex spear titled the red sox have tempered expectations for their first pick on monday basically they have the 26th pick in the draft for in the first round and they were he was outlining a bunch of statistics about the 26th pick historically and they're not too great so 29 of the 53 players drafted with the 26th pick have never made it to the majors. Uh, there are only three all-stars from that group, Hall of Famer Alan Trammell, Dan Plesak, Amazing Reliever, MLB, as people may know, MLB Network uh, personality, and then Dave Henderson. Uh, so they're the only all-stars to come from that that position in the draft. And then the last player taken 26th overall to make the majors was actually Blake Swihart. So that's pretty cool. Michael Chavez was actually also taken um, in the 2014 draft with the 26th pick. So the Red Sox have had a lot of 26th pick. That's that's, kind of interesting. So the average baseball reference war for those players in their career is an underwhelming 2.6. Again, like this is just... Random variants It's probably just crapshoot. Kind of just yeah. There's no curse with the 26 pick. It's it just how it is, especially because it's a late round, first round pick. So, um, Nick, who do you think Boston should be looking at with their first pick in this draft? Oh
2: man, uh, you know there was that kid from BC High that I know there was some level of interest. Um, the pitcher, I can't recall his name, but he I guess elected to. Uh, Go to college and pitch. I think at Virginia Tech, but you know the name that I got that I heard thrown out uh, tonight that I didn't realize was talking to um, talking to the Red Sox was, uh, was the Cody Is it Cody yeah Cody Clements uh, Rogers' kid. He's a lefty hitter. Um, I'll say this too: like we talk about, I talk about with free agents all the time how the Red Sox need to have somebody where you like that assesses. The talent that they deal with, the, the the guys that they bring in that they consider signing as free agents. Can this guy handle the market? And you need to have yeah. somebody who has an understanding of that because we've seen with certain players that they run into those issues, whether it's Crawford, guys on the team now, Adrian Gonzalez, whoever. Okay, these guys have issues being in the limelight or being in Boston. I think you need to have a guy who kind of has an understanding of what the pressures are when it comes to dealing with Boston, playing in Boston, if you want him to succeed here, if you want to really leave no stone unturned, you do that. And I think if you play in a kid with the last name Clemens that has to be related to Roger, you're in a pretty good spot for him to know what the expectations are going to be going forward, Especially when Roger was playing for the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, yeah, does you know, in sure.
2: an era where you know there's a lot more negativity than now.
0: Yeah, definitely. The, the actual be able to handle the Boston spotlight is is very important, especially as you said, because Boston is such a tough market to play in. And, and we've seen guys faltered like Carl Crawford, like Pablo Sandoval. So I think that, that the actual, like the intangibles are very important, um, even more so when you're getting a guy to play at Boston for the long term. Um, so some guys I... Found that were interesting that the Red Sox potentially may be looking at. So they're very wide open, uh, according to that article from Alex Spear. Like, they're looking at all guys. I mean, obviously, they should be. They should take the best available player, but they're not like sticking to like one demographic. Like, there's not like a a standout class this year. Um, They're looking at college pitchers. They're looking at college hitters. They're looking at high school hitters. They're looking at high school pitchers. Um, But yeah, some guys that were interesting was. Uh, Ryan Rollison, uh left-hander out of Mississippi um, He's got a repertoire that scouts believe is 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 um, major league starting pitcher potential He's got a fastball in the mid-90s and can touch 96 six. He's got a nice curveball and change up So a good three-pitch mix obviously you might want to add another pitch to diversify things up But there are some concerns with his delivery and and he hasn't had the best season this year His statistics definitely fall off after a very strong Cape Cod league uh, performance um, another guy was Shane McClanahan uh, left-hander out of South Florida he can hit 100 but has some command issues and if it weren't for some minor injuries uh, he definitely would be a consensus top 10 picks but uh, injury issues aside he he could definitely be a steal another guy was steel Walker um, outfielder out of Oklahoma if they want to get that power bat middle of the lineup guy Um, and the last one was Seth beer I don't know if you guys have heard of Seth beer but he's quite the polarizing um, college prospect um he's first baseman slash outfielder out of clemson and dude this this guy's got so much power i was watching some highlights the other day and and when i was in greenville over the weekend um covering the greenville drive single a for the boston red Sox, everyone was raving about this kid and and how they wanted him to the red Sox to draft him because it would be really good for the greenville drive ticket sales because if they get seth beer there oh my gosh people are gonna go crazy but um he should be able to hit for power and draw walks he should be a good OBP and good slug guy, but his defense is very much a question. Um, he's polarizing, but he may profile as a future DH. I'm not saying he's going to be the next David Ortiz, but I, uh, he's the man. The dude's got power. Uh, Jordan, what? Who do you think that the Red Sox should be looking at, or is there a specific aspect that they sh- or niche they should exploit in this year's draft?
1: Um. I mean, I, I, read, I, I think I read the same article as you, Pat. Um, and the guys that I picked up on was, uh, Tristan Casas, who's a, uh, uh, first baseman that, who's first, who can play first base and third base. Um, I, also Seth Beer, um, Bryce Turing, and, and Nolan Gorman. Um, I think, um, I, I, I think I'm going to talk in terms of first baseman. Um, I think I think Seth Beer is a, like is a great pick uh, but at the same time I mean I'm gonna go out go out on a limb and just play with the question of you have to keep Sam I'm not uh, yeah Sam Travis in mind um, I mean the Red Sox are highly like are high on him um, and he's been um, he's been struggling a little bit um, so I think what like whatever pick that? uh the Red Sox do choose uh they, you do need to keep Sam Travis in mind, so yeah I'm, yeah, I'm probably like coming out of like left field here, but I think that's what I was thinking about as I was reading the article
0: yeah that that that's an interesting point um i think like in ter- just how volatile just players in general are, especially in the minor league system i I think you that all teams are now going gearing more towards the approach of taking the best player available. And if we need you to move you around, like let's say you got Dustin Bedroya at second base. We're not going to like not pick a good second baseman just because we have Dustin Pedroia. Um They selected Mookie Betts and Mookie Betts converted to right field. Um, you can tinker with these guys in terms of position. Like they have a while for that development to actually work out. But yeah, I, I think that, that the Red Sox have some interesting options. And and obviously this is just like fun. This is for fun. I mean, I have no information really whatsoever on who they're thinking about taking. Um, It's just a fun exercise, and and we'll see what happens on Monday, and hopefully the Red Sox get their next next Hall of Famer, and hopefully they can, you know, make this 26th pick, have less of a stigma around it. So for our last topic, we're going to be talking about J.D. Martinez, Just Dinger's, um... Yeah, so he's at 18 bombs this year. I think he's still in the lead with Mike Trout, unless within the time I started this podcast. No, the Angels Tigers actually played in the afternoon. He is still tied with Mike Trout for the league lead in home runs at 18. Um, Nick, do you think he is going to hit more home runs than he did last year with the Diamondbacks and Tigers, which was 45? It
2: honestly feels like that right now, Pat. Uh, I mean, I know the one concern with J.D. when they were going after him was, can this guy handle uh, Fenway Park's dimensions with his swing? And clearly, I mean, I feel like his last four home runs have all been to left field over the monster. Clearly, the guy's got it figured out. Uh, am I, is he going to surpass what he had last year, though? Uh, I mean, he's put himself in a pretty damn good spot to do that because he he's got, it. what, 18 right now? So, 18 after two months? Uh, that's that's uh, that's definitely in the realm of possibility for sure. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and say yes, he will.
0: Yeah, he, he's on pace for about like doing quick quick math. I had like 54 home runs. If it's about one-third through the season, figure he's going to get some rest. So, yeah, he's on pace to do some real damage. And we actually did an episode about I think it was the sixth episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast where we tackled a very polarizing question. I know Mookie Betts has has been uh, on the shelf per se uh, lately, but Nick, who do you think's going to wind up with more home runs at the end of the year, Mookie Betts or J.D. Martinez?
2: Even though Mookie is having this time off, I honestly still think he is going to hit more home runs by the end of the year. He's just... Him being, he's, he's not Deadpool, but more pull-happy than uh, J.D. is. I think that play is going to help him out uh, at Fenway Park when they're back at Kansas Yards, when they're at Yankee Stadium. He has that now, granted, he has the right-hand right fortune in Yankee yeah. Stadium, so I guess that kind of neutralizes it. But um, I think Mookie will still wind up with um, better numbers. I think the fact that he leads off, too, is what's is what they also going to play into that because it kind of, you reset everything he just faced, the bottom of the order. Um, the pitcher's mentality is a little bit different at that point in the game. Um, never mind at the start of the game where he's thinking, I'm going to throw a fastball to start the game off, and then he's swinging it out of his shorts for a pitch. Um, but I think he has that advantage where you have and Tandy behind him, and then they're still thinking, I wish as, much as as much as Mookie might be the best hitter in the lineup, I think J.D. scares people more than anybody else. Definitely. And I think that kind of helps Mookie because guys are already thinking, all right, I can't let him get on base because JD." that means JD's going to get up this inning or it means he's a, he's a batter away if he's hitting third that day. So I, I think Mookie has the slight advantage
0: yeah 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 that, that's an interesting point you you brought up about the guys behind him and and yeah Ben is definitely formidable behind Betts in the lineup um yeah as you allude to Betts is definitely more of a pull guy I think he has one opposite field home run this year and it was in a game against Toronto and Rogers Center and, and I was pretty blown away but Mookie Betts has such good play coverage like this guy is taking like 95 miles per hour fastballs high and away and he's pulling it over the, into the monster seats it, it's incredible like the extension he gets on his hands and and I was able to control the bat and and take it way deep and uh over the Green Monster, but JD Martinez is more of an all-around swing. Um, he definitely sprays the ball um, opposite field to center field, and he can use the the short porch and the bullpen and, and right field to to aid in his advantage. But but yeah, it's definitely a fun hypothetical to play with. Um, Jordan, do you think that JD Martinez will hit more home runs than he did last year? Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, um, I mean, as of right now, he's sitting uh, tied for. Uh, with most home runs hit, uh, this year. And I mean, I was doing some research prior to this podcast. And what I've, re- what I've realized is that what makes JD Martino such a great hitter, um, this year, amongst like, amongst other years, is that he just, just does not, he puts the ball in play. Um, I mean, his, I think his ground ball percentage is like around like 47. Uh, and then he, you know, he puts, and then he puts the ball in play like, uh, I think like 35% of the time. Um, he has a good command of the uh, of the plate, or, or not the plate, the uh, the strike zone, um, and then his isolated power is just. Is, I think he's like hitting over three hundred in isolated power, and I mean, like Nick said, he like he answered the question of can he hit in Fenway, and you know, absolutely he can. I, I think um, you know what what kind of uh, what am I trying to say? Well, like, the home run that I saw in the, um, in the finale against the the Blue Jays was just, was amazing. I mean, this guy's like one of the, like one of the greatest hitters in the league. And I like, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, he hits more home runs than he does, than he did last year.
0: Yeah, definitely. I and mean, he's obviously on pace for it, as as we already said. But actually, guys, that's actually going to do it for this episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered podcast. Um, I want to thank Jordan and Nick for being with me, uh, being here with me. But before we go, I, I have to ask you this question, Nick. Do you think the Red Sox are going to be AL East champs when it's all said and done? I know we've got a lot of season left, but give me your answer.
2: Yeah. I didn't, you know, coming into the season, I didn't think they had a chance in hell just the way that Yankees line up looked. Yeah. I didn't care about the pitching staff, but with how bad that, that pitching staff has looked, especially Sonny Gray, good God. Uh, but with oh, how man. bad they've looked and John Carl not living up to it, J.D. surpassing their expectations. Honestly, right now, as we sit here today, Pat, I say yes.
0: The Red Sox are going to win the ALEs. Yes. Um, I, I'm with you in the beginning of the season on the Red Sox unfiltered MLB prediction series. I actually chose the Yankees to beat the Red Sox um, for the 2018 season and win that AL East crown. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to go with you, Nick, and I'm going to retract my answer. I, I'm thinking it's the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. They're just... They're exceeding all expectations, and there were guys who looked like a question mark, like Mitch Moreland, like Xander Bogarts, like even Andrew Benintendi, who had a good season, um, but is now far exceeding it, and even Mookie Betts, who had a down year, consider um, in comparison to his 2016 season, and now he's just of another world. And the J.D. Martinez addition has been so huge. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, obviously, there are moves to make, a lot of baseball to be played, but yes. Nick and I are both going to go with the Boston Red Sox as the AL East champions, and Jordan, I—I'm sure you are too, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, go, well, I was—I was a few times, going into the season. Um, I mean, I was—I was a bit, you know, I was a bit sad because um, I mean, you can you can really argue that, like, going into the season that you know, John—you you wouldn't think that John Carlos Stanton would be doing worse than um, than. I, well, I, I was going to say doing worse than JD Martinez is because of the lineup, but I mean, you know, it's a, it's it's like a, I guess am a, nah, I'm I'm almost out of word, I'm almost out of words for for how many things what, how many things that are going well for the Red Sox. So, you know, to sum it up, um, I'm um, you know I'm, I'm going to say yes.
0: Good, good. Um, but yes, yeah, Red Sox are going to win the AL East. Yeah, they are going to hopefully win the AL East. But yeah, that's going to do it for this edition uh, or this episode of the Red Sox and Filter Podcast. Again, guys, thank you for coming on, and we'll be back next week on Sunday. Uh, Dave will also not be on the show that we uh, that day either, so we'll hopefully have a guest for in his absence. But for now, guys, uh, thank you for listening, and we will we'll see you on Sunday.